0: Majana chamananda sha, janajana salakaya, shakshu and militanyena tasma sriguena maha. Nasta prayeshu abhyeshu, nicham bhagavati sevaya, bhagavati ma sloki bhaktier bhavati nice ki. tu koptuvias chakru pisanaviva chāpa tita namhabane maha. Narayanam Devim Vyasam Dayam Udi Rayet So, good evening everyone. This is the auspicious appearance day of Srila Jeeva Goswami, so I thought having a class from his tattvas and would be appropriate. Uh, we've already spoken uh, about his life uh, at the beginning of this series, so... We'll just continue with our discussions so that we can complete the discourse on the Tatva Sundarbha by the end of this month when uh, Guru Maharaj arrives and then uh, take up again the Sundarbhas with the Bhagavat Sundarbha mid-November. So tonight we will continue with our Analysis of the verses from Srimad Bhagavatam, which speak of the ten topics presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam. The nine topics, actually, as the potencies of the Supreme Lord, which glorify Him as the ashraya, the shelter of the whole work, and the shelter of all those ten topics. So we can chant together in this verse from the second canto, which uh, outlines those ten items presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam spoken by Sukadeva Goswami so. Atra sargo visargasca Atra sargo visargasca Stadam posanam utaya Manvantare sunu Katha Manvantari man Nirodo Mukti Translation, Sri Sukadev Goswami said, in the Srimad Bhagavatam there are ten divisions of statements regarding the following: the creation of the universe, subcreation, planetary systems, protection by the Lord, the creative impetus. The Change of Manus, The Science of God, Returning Home, Back to Godhead, Liberation, and the Summum Bonum. So we left off with Anocheda 56, which gave us a brief introduction uh, to these ten items. And we will continue tonight with Anocheta 57, uh, which goes a little bit more in depth and understand that uh, these ten subjects of the Srimad Bhagavatam are presented primarily by Sukadeva Goswami in detail uh, in this tenth chapter of the second canto. This verse, Atrasargo Visargas Cha, gives us an overview of the ten items together. And now Sukade Goswami, he'll continue by giving us in the Bhagavatam uh, a little bit of an explanation of these ten items. So I want to read the uh, the introduction by Jiva Goswami in English uh, to this 57th Anucheda To elucidate the tenth subject. Sri Sukadeva Goswami speaks seven verses that define each of the ten subjects, showing how they culminate in the tenth. The first four of the seven verses, covering the first nine topics, are presented in Anucheda 57, sections 1, 2, and 3. And then what Jiva Goswami does, as he actually quotes those verses from the Bhagavatam and then he explains them himself in the Anocheda. So rather than actually read the, the full translation in English of the verses I would just go over the summarization of them and the significant points. Let's talk about Sarga, primary creation. What does that mean? Sarga begins with the Lord glancing on the the unmanifest conglomerate of material potential. This potential is sometimes referred to as Pradhana. Pradhana in Sanskrit and also Mahatatha. Also Prakriti at dissolution all the material elements are drawn back in to a dormant state of primordial nature as either can be referred to as prakriti or as pradhana Uh, and the three modes of material nature when the material manifestation is unmanifest or drawn back in they go into a state of balance. Equilibrium is the way it can be looked upon. And in that equilibrium, the three modes of material nature become inactive. So when we look to what happens at what we would refer to as creation, and again, creation is a term that that one would use in reference to a manifestation of the material cosmos. But technically speaking when when one says creation one pretty much thinks creation's happening from what? From scratch. Or there's nothing and then we make something. Really there has to be something there you can't make something from nothing so you don't make it from scratch you make it from some ingredient it's important to understand that really what's happening is you are you're manifesting from some some ingredient or some constituent uh you're manifesting something by your potency so that's a better way to look at the manifestation of the material world by the Supreme he glances upon material energy dana prakriti he glances upon it and he actualizes it he he puts it into motion he initiates the interaction with the modes of material nature he disrupts their equilibrium this is not really a, a creation as much as it's an actualization bringing into effect his potencies. And you notice I have, I have a hard time sometimes how do we put this in words because Jiva is so careful in presenting his sandarbhas, so that we we can enter into a deep understanding of what is the nature of the Supreme and what is our nature and what is the nature of the material energy. In going just through this preliminary sandarbha, the Tattva sandarbha, and how carefully Jiva Goswami was in presenting the conceptions of Brahman, that non-dual substance, jnana advayam, that can be viewed in different ways according to the appreciation of the jiva. And though all of those ways are, they're acceptable, but there's complete there's more complete and there's most complete. From our vantage point we consider the conception of Brahman complete it's a perfect conception of the supreme absolute but it's it's complete in and of itself but there's a more complete conception which is Paramatma the eminence the, the supreme eminence of the Lord's energies that's effectuating everything in existence, including ourselves. And then there's a m- most complete conception of the Absolute, Bhagavan. Bhagavan iti subjate, wherein we see that the Absolute is everything that we are as conscious entities in totality, applying that consciousness that we are to another individual who possesses all the consciousness. So this great care that is taken by Jiva and by the commentators, the sadhus, to give us these concepts and 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 draw from these the Sanskrit slokas, you know, this Subda Brahman, the deeper meaning of everything, it's meant to bring us, just like the ten, the nine other subjects of the Bhagavatam, to a more complete appreciation of that supreme shelter, Ashraya, which is the primary subject of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So when we look at creation, We look at reanimation, re-manifestation, bringing, the Lord is again invigorating a dormant potency of His through His glance. And we call that preliminary reanimation or or re-enthusing of prakriti his material energy we call that sarga so the lord glances and the gunas they fall out of equilibrium by his glance that state of the gunas of material nature continues, it perpetuates throughout the entire manifestation So much so that we will not find a time when any one of those gunas is not mixed with the other two to some extent. There's always some imbalance there. So the Lord glances at the gunas and displaces the equilibrium from that the first manifestation from that glance pond prakriti and the the initial imbalance is created that's created the first thing that comes out from that is mahatattva mahatattva is the cosmic intellect collective wisdom principle the intellectual energy that and knowledge that perpetuates the material energy it's called collective wisdom principle everything's working under some intellect there has to be some higher intelligence behind every single thing within the material manifestation that is the mahatatva the overriding tattva that is the intelligence that makes everything work. That's the first thing that becomes manifest. There has to be, well, we could call it law and order within the universal manifestation And, and that might be another way to look at it. The overriding collective principle of of truth that underlies the material manifestation the time factor then comes into play and its interaction with the principle of mahatatva gives rise to the conception of I, the I-ness the empirical I principle Empirical meaning what? We're looking at the I principle in relationship to I mean mine, this manifestation. So this Ahankara is coming about from that collective knowledge by time, the energy of time. So now we have some initial formulation from. That I principle, a hun car, false ego. When we say false ego, we generally mean that the spiritual energy takes up a false relationship. with this material manifestation. A false relationship in that it's foreign to itself, but it's, it's, it's through false ego projecting itself. And how does it project? Then we have a manifestation in the following order. First, there's a manifestation of the five subtle elements. Smell, taste, form, tacticity, and sound. Then, from that, a manifestation of the gross elements. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. Thereafter, we need to be able to intuit. We need a tool be cognizant of what's there in the material realm. The tool is is the senses, the senses of apprehension to perceive the smell and the taste and the form. We have the eye, we have the ear, we have the nose, we have the tongue. Up to this point, this Part of the reanimation of the Lord's creative material unconscious aspect. The Lord is what? Perfect and complete. That means he must have everything. So if he has a conscious aspect, he must also have an unconscious aspect. A portion of him that is not conscious then we have a, a perfect uh, manifestation. That's the material realm. Up to this point, all this is considered Sarga. Then we come to Visarga. Atra Sarga, Visarga ja. At this point, Lord Brahma becomes active. He's manifest from the Supreme Lord and a secondary creation takes place. And that secondary creation is his sending forth all the spiritual particles that were lying dormant and reanimating them within this potency. They are given bodies very specific bodies based on what were their psychic impressions from the last manifestation of the material energy. So this is the secondary creation. Brahma is also called Purusha in this regard. And another name which is interesting is Viraja. All the living entities are set forth, both moving and non-moving, in accordance with their prior karmic inheritance. They acquired some inheritance of what they that determined their future reward. Some may not look at it that way, but that's the position of the sadhu. So two topic, topics have been covered, now we come to the third, stiti or stana, stonam, po a utaya, sustenance of the living entity. We have the living entities that provided a, a facility, a material body according to their past, karmic inheritance, and, well, they have to be sustained. That sustenance the arrangement of that sustenance, the manifestation of that sustenance, is one of the items, one of the topics of the Srimad Bhagavatam. What do we learn from the Bhagavatam regarding that sustenance? One living entity is food for another. (laughs) That's the arrangement that the Supremes made. In order to sustain one, he, he makes them the food of the other. And in that way, the material creation goes forward. There's more to it than that, though, isn't there? Because there's also a protection of the offspring in the material realm. Krishna speaks of that in the Bhagavad Gita. Paritranaya sadhanam vina saya dharma-samstapanarthaya sambhavami-yuge-yuge that I also am providing a protection and I come personally to arrange for that whenever things are not balanced. The next topic of the Bhagavatam, remember all these topics are meant to, are meant and presented in the Bhagavatam pointing back to the tenth topic, the ashraya. So the next is Posana the nurturing of the living entities. Not just sustaining them, but nurturing them in such a way that there is a conscious evolution. And that nurturing is done according to the consciousness of the person being nurtured. The easiest example of nurturing is is that of a child. We nurture our children. We give them all the best that we can unconditionally. We call it unconditional love. We talk about nurturing, and it's more or less unconditional. This is my child. I will do whatever I have to for the well-being of my child. But sometimes the child rebels. Sometimes the child wants nothing to do with it. So similarly, the Lord personally nurtures within the material realm, and he nurtures except when there's indifference, when there's no interest in taking advantage of what he has to offer. When the child runs away from a home, when the child's simply inimical, I don't want anything to do with it, you have nothing to offer me. What do you mean? I'm a super (laughs) multi-trillionaire. I have nothing to offer you. (laughs) I can give you your own universe. I can make you a Brahma. I can end all the miseries that you're experiencing within this material realm. I have nothing to offer you. Read my books. I'm giving you all this Shastra. I'm sending the Sadhus. Look at the way they live in life. Look at how caring, kind, gentle, all the all the characteristics that you'd want to see in a human being are in those people that take advantage of what I have to offer. And you're saying, I don't have anything to offer? What can I do? This posana is done according to the turning of consciousness of the human being. There are some instances where of course, rare, we read in the Bhagavatam that sometimes someone, someone that's not even coming, come to the human platform, is given some extraordinary nurturing by the Supreme Lord, only to go deeper into the Leela to find out that that great personality was simply put in that situation uh, because of some curse having been in a higher form of life. But remember, there's a continual cycle. The fact that Gajendra was King Indraduma or the crocodile or speak of the lizard in the well, Nariga. Based on our receptivity, our ability to receive what the Lord has to offer, uh, that will ha- have to do a lot with what we can receive of his unconditional love. What do we mean by unconditional? There is no there's no favor on his part. He doesn't play favors. He accepts everyone uh, equally. Uh, no favoritism. We see this posanum. We see this filtered through the manifestation of the sadhu, the spiritual master. So we say that the sadhu gives the grace of bhakti. The sadhu does discriminate, whereas the Lord does not. He's equal to everyone. Uti is the next topic. Impetus for action. So what impedes one to action within the material realm? Subconscious impressions in the mind. A deep understanding of uti or karmic involvement could take considerable amount of study for us. But we all know what is karma, we all know how karma comes about gradually from our study of Madhurya Kadamani, the seed, the kuta, the bija, parabda. This manifestation of Uti, it comes gradually, and again it is also a cycle. The cycle from from a seed form, and then it, uh, you know, then it comes up to the point of we're actually involved in it, in that we call paramda karma, manifest karma that we're involved in. Bhakti is so amazingly powerful that it destroys karmic involvement at all stages, even paramda karma. Well, does that mean it it evaporates my body? No. It completely spiritualizes your body so that when we look at the great sadhus, the guru, we don't see them as having a material body. In fact, that's a scriptural uh, imperative for us. You should never look upon your guru as having a material body. If the iron rod is constantly in the fire then it is fire manvantara manvantaras are extended period of time basically the word manu means the thinker and the thinker is in charge of a period of time and maintaining the the dharma uh, this is done by himself personally a manu has a long Administration. His long administration is 71 cycles of the four yugas. So that's 71 times 4 million years. That's the, the length of his administration. Our uh, Manu now is Vivasavatu uh, Manu. He's coming in the middle of Brahma's day. He's the seventh Manu in this day of Brahma that we're in now. So you can imagine such a long period of time and such a responsible post. So he, along with sages and other enlightened beings, they maintain the standard of Dharma, which is difficult to do in the material realm. So much so that even the Lord himself, he comes himself when there's A disruption in Dharma as he mentions in Bhagavad Gita. So basically I think you could look at Manus and the Manvantaras. They're there to maintain uh, and provide the welfare for the human beings. Again Manu means thinkers so we of course they care for all living entities but it's it's basically living entities who have who've evolved to the stage of of the human form of life. Everything else goes on naturally according to the the laws of material nature. It's only the human beings that require some intervention (laughs) where laws are Are enacted in a very uh, regulated manner. Otherwise, it's survival of the fittest. And we know how that goes in in the animal kingdom. The next next topic is Isanukatha the description of Bhagavan's pastimes with his associates during his avataric descents. Such descriptions both include and transcend literal and symbolic meanings. That's an interesting point. Such descriptions both include and transcend literal and symbolic meanings, like subda, like sound vibration. All of the kathas meant for what? For a turning of consciousness to the Supreme. Now when the absolute reality, the absolute truth, is personally experienced through revelation, like the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva in samadhi, or the revelation of Sukadeva Goswami in hearing Subda Brahman from his platform of Brahmananda, when you have that revelation, then what is the question at that point of revelation of the difference between what is literal and what is symbolic? It's all absolute, so it becomes irrelevant. But for one who hasn't yet been graced with that transcendent revelation of the Supreme, then then we look to katha and that katha gives us some preliminary taste and some deeper and deeper revelation as it purifies our heart shaito dharpana arjuna, glory to Sri Krishna Sankirtan we're hearing the holy name we're hearing Krishna katha and it is having an effect and our consciousness is turning from this karmic, karmically impressed consciousness that draws us to the conception of I in relationship to the mind and the senses, which are giving us an opportunity to experience something outside of ourselves and think that it is our self. So you can see how All these topics of the Bhagavatam are meant to bring us to pure Krishna consciousness if we can just understand them in the proper light. And that is basically why we have from such a a, a stalwart as Jiva Goswami this presentation of the Sundarbhas. We have the Bhagavatam, we know what the ten subjects are. We know all ten subjects are meant to highlight that supreme shelter, ashraya, Sri Krishna, the supreme. We know that's the purpose of the Bhagavatam, but what Jiva gives us in this Sandarbhas is exactly how do we look to the ten subjects that are being presented and draw the deepest meaning, a better way to put it, is to draw a perfect deep meaning, one perfect understanding of a alila, some discussion, bring us to understand that perfectly through the eyes of Shastra, through the Bhagavatam, because it's not just one meaning. The Bhagavatam is like the Supreme Lord himself. It's infinitely deep. So to say there's only, well, this lila means, bring out this from the lila, as Sri Caitanya showed himself from one verse from the Bhagavatam, we can bring out unlimited meanings. But to make all of those meanings meaningful for spiritual nourishment that's something that has some real significance. And that's what the why the Sundarvas of Jiva are so important to us. He shows us through example, through his analysis, through his utilization of the perfect presentation and philosophical understanding of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his direct associates, how the Bhagavatam should be milked for the essence of its meaning. So, Naroda, at a certain point, the Lord looks away from that material manifestation and everything folds up. They would call this the, a cosmic rest for the Lord. The material elements become unmanifest in the reverse order that they were manifest. So we talked about how they come out, so they would come back in. This is much more deeply explained by Kapila to his mother uh, Devahuti in another place in the Bhagavatam. So if you really want to know how does this manifestation happen from one to the other, what elements come out of what elements, what elements are manifest from what, one sense object from the sense object we have the, the sense then the seat for the sense and we're going to touch on this a little bit in the next couple Anupcetas because we, we look carefully to the, the nature of the relationship between the Jivatma and the Devas who are in charge of the sense objects like the sun we have in the material creation we have the sense of sight so then we have we have the eye which can perceive but there is a a, a deva a devata that that controls what is what is available to see so that we call surya so these three, Adi Atmic, Adi Daivic, and Adi Bautic. Adi Bautic being the material form that has the physical eye in it. Well the physical eye without the Atma and without the Deva doesn't work. And the Atma, even if you have the Atma, the individual spirit soul, and you have the physical eye, if there's no deva to provide light, then you can't see. So all three of these work together. So this will be a discussion that's that's going to come probably in the next class. It's it's very exciting because we're seeing wow, all these things work together. And then where's Krishna come into the picture? Where does that supreme entity come in? And In, our, in this instance, how does Paramatma manage all this so the Lord at the end there is the the wrapping up of the material energy the Jivas give up their gross body they have no choice in the matter there's the fire of devastation and it's wrapped up the whole show it's wrapped up in a big way and it's also wrapped up in a smaller way when Brahma's had a day Although the jivas give up their gross body, they remain conditioned in their causal bodies. Those karmic impressions that they're carrying with them, karma in the different states except parabda, which they're carrying, those become dormant, and the jivas then they merge into the uh, into the Lord Himself. Another topic is mukti, mukti means when that material creation is wrapped up, there are certain jivas who have given up the desire to be involved in their subtle and gross bodies. So they're freed from both of those. And at the, uh, when the material creation, they're fully established in their spiritual nature, so they, they do not. Go into the unmanifest, but they actually are gained entrance into the spiritual world. That's not just at the end of a of a period of creation. Although some of the great saints and sages, the higher planetary systems, they leave when Brahma leaves. So they have some. Depending on the jiva's particular situation, some are immediately liberated, and some are liberated at the time of the complete devastation of a creation of one universe among uncountable universes. And then the tenth subject is the shelter of the other nine, Bhagavan, Ashraya Tatva. And the discussion of all the other nine is simply meant so that we can know that tenth fully by a deep appreciation for all of his various potencies in relationship with the material realm. And these ten subjects of the Bhagavatam uh, bring us to this this deep understanding of, of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And they all point to him. And it is necessary for the serious student of the Bhagavatam to... Go systematically through the presentation in order that when they come to the, to the most sweet section of the 10th canto, they have a proper conceptual orientation as to what is the Lord and what is His various potencies. So the deepness of that, uh, that understanding uh, is beneficial. So the next Anucheta deals with uh, a deeper explanation of the 10th subject, the Ashraya, and that's Anocheda 58. And we'll take up that Anucheta in our next class. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Hare yes. Krishna. <laughs> Let's go to this